So hello and welcome to our podcast, Gender Talk. And out of all the topics we could have gotten on this show, tonight we're discussing the impact of religion on attitudes, beliefs, and practices around women's health, including taboos around menstruation. A warm welcome to all our listeners in the world you might be. All right, so I mean, let's get into it. Immediately we can observe that because attitudes and beliefs at the core of many religions across the world, we can quickly identify how a system of patriarchy really overlays there. I mean, and for those who don't know what patriarchy is in layman's terms, it's really when societal the societal systems in place are run and controlled by men, almost excluding you know women from positions of power. And I mean, as a matter of fact, I think it was Karen Armstrong in 1993, I believe, who argued that the development of religions with powerful male gods, you know, Christianity, the Judaism, the Islam, is, is a cause of the sexist core to religion. And I mean, she also pointed out that, you know, various goddesses and priestesses were replaced with male prophets. So I think we can expand more on that. Let's, let's get to the phones, see if we can take some calls and turn this into a conversation. All right. All right, so we seem to have three callers on the line. Good evening. Can you state your names? Yes, yes. Good evening. I am Lamir. Good evening. I am Rajesh Nathan. Good evening. I'm Damien. I've researched this topic and I think I have some really value to add. I'm excited to see how it turns out. So, gentlemen, what do you think are some of the impacts of religion on attitudes, beliefs, and practices? around women's health. Let's hear it. Well, in my opinion, religion has definitely shaped the society, society's views on abortion and contraception. Religion is key in the control of moral in the society. And religion has different moral standards. Therefore, we need to look at the different religious views that influence the discussion. Exactly, exactly, because in, in, in different religious circles, it is a continuous debate whether our fetus is a living. Yes, man. Yes, remember, you know, in Christianity, abortion is, is considered a bad omen, an evil practice, which is not acceptable. When we look at major religious institutions like the Roman Catholic Church, that teaches that abortion is wrong, and any member of the church found involved in the practice can be excommunicated from the church. Yeah, man, and that, that really seems to be the overlaying consequence, you know, because even the Jehovah Witnesses also do share the common belief with the Catholic that, you know, abortion is wrong. And I mean, as a matter of fact, it is concluded that in most Christian denominations, abortion is, you know, highly prohibited at any time and at, and at no time accepted by the church. Well, you know, guys, when it comes to the Hindu faith, they view abortion as evil. As a matter of fact, there's a scripture that speaks to the Gora Beta, which means womb killing when, it, when describing abortion. But at the same time, they view it as a necessary evil. Why? Because it saves lives. Well, to add to that, you know, Buddhism on the other hand, if you research your culture, it has a more relaxed approach to abortion. In cases that yeah, showcase yeah. that the Buddha's way of life, it really tries to get away from making finalization and 
things. So the culture of really encompasses that if an individual within oneself finds a teaching to be true, then yeah. he should practice the teaching but not trust any teaching by simply just trusting them. Definitely, definitely. And I know for sure that Jehovah's Witnesses believe that, you know, human life, human life begins at conception and do not therefore approve of abortion. But, but all right, we kind of go far now. All right, so let's, talk, let's touch back home for a minute. What we think about the Rastafarians' take on the topic? Let's hear it. <laughs> uh, boy, I tell you, the Rasta, them tricky, you no know, man. Not a, yeah, man. Let me tell you, no water don't Rasta, the real them follow the tradition of liberty and job. Them man is strict. Remember, you know, too many Rastafari are not normally referred, they are normally referred to as queens, nothing less. And the bubble shanty order is the strictest. This is yes, man. They really adhere to the strict mm-hmm. principles of the Old Testament, you know. Abortion is also not an option. For, for, for Rastafari women, yes, as yes, seen yes. as men. All right, no, all right. So we so we get in somewhere. So let's let's draw some more of these taboos. All right, contraception. Because I know for a fact that many Rastafarian women cannot use any form of birth control as long as it is not natural. It is seen as a Eurocentric way to try and control the African population. What do we think about that? Sure, for sure. That is. Very good segue. Look at how religion is interesting now. There is no ban on birth accept to have a family during the whole stage of life. And so they are unlikely to use the vintage altogether. Even more so, look at the Roman Catholic Church. They believe that using contraception is intrinsically evil in itself, regardless of the consequences. Catholic cultures only permit natural methods of birth control. So I guess, if you're going to say that now, you know, then I guess we can see how patriarchy has made way for sexism in religion. Because a, woman, a woman's health is affected and a woman's health is affected then because a man can get hundreds of women pregnant at a time, you know, while a woman can only have one child at a time. However, the contraceptive was made for the woman. And then, if the woman takes the contraceptive, it is frowned upon. But the woman then does have it rough. I mean, what else do you have on the board? What other ways do you think um, religion impacts attitudes, beliefs, and practices around women's health? Let's hear it. Rajesh, well, what do you think, Rajesh? Well, well, that's very interesting. I was doing some research and some readings. And we can, we can definitely talk about female circumcision. Oh boy, I tell you, that's an interesting one. Eh? For example, these sacred texts are often used to justify female genital mutilations and cuttings. Those, honest, not a lot of Muslims practice it, if I'm being truthful. But it is still a thing. And male sir, some male sir, is fine, you know. But to use religion to force circumcision on women, that is not fine and that is going over the board. Agreed, agreed. Yes, sir, Rajesh, I agree with, with your statement. Yeah, man, it I can agree, Rajesh. It can have serious and negative implications for a woman's health. That coupled with the fact that the surgery 
is performed by an untrained individual in an unsanitary manner is a breach of human rights. However, I know, you know, um, um, funny enough, when you look at the cultural roots of causing harm to the human body is strictly prohibited unless there is religious justification. So something like um, female genital mutilation, that's a, that doesn't sound good at all. I have never seen that. I have never seen that in the Bible, personally. And I know, I know of male circumcision, but female circumcision is not something that you know is 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 not very common, and it's not very accepted either. That is true. That is true because when you think about it, you know, think uh, point to remove the labia and clitoris of a woman by force, and sometimes them them do it to young females, you know, as early as six years old. You know. It can be very traumatic. It can be a very traumatic experience for them. So, because of that, I, I personally believe, you know, women are very tender creatures. Something of this nature can really cause them to develop PTSD and can be bad for their emotional, psychological health, as well as their physical. Even affect the way they urinate and affect intimacy with their husbands. Um, let me just, mm-hmm. let me just um, say something to add to that. From my understanding yeah. of the process, you know, it can also have serious effects on the female body. It can cause UTI, yeah. cysts on the reproductive tissues, and even pain during sex. And just yeah. to add insult to injury, it can enhance period pains yeah. and even in pains in childbirth. Yeah, I mean, well, exactly. So, so my question is, you know, but why then are women forced to do these type of things? Is it for their benefit or for the benefit of others? Well, the reality is that women go through uh, FGM in order to increase their chances of being married in the future. It is done for the man and it has, it has no benefit to the woman. This, at its core, it's, is patriarchal. Exactly. Very well put. Exactly. In some areas... Female genital mutilation is considered a necessary part of a girl's life and preparing her for adulthood and marriage. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Also, it is done to keep women their husbands. Like, like, like that really has to stop them from cheating. <laughs> and and it, is, it is very unethical and aggressive, if you ask me. It is a very aggressive way of doing things. The aim is to ensure premarital virginity and marital fidelity to, to, to go to the extent of cutting off the, our private some things in our private part don't agree with that well um, in addition you know when you look on female genital mutilation um, Mr. Rajesh yeah. it is libido and so there is cheating and so on. I am certain feminists mm-hmm. would slap their forehead at some this because from their perspective, this is all just a gruesome cultural belief that is instituted by men and enforced by women on a woman. And, and in many of these cultures where women have to endure these type of things, you know just to ensure um, faithfulness. Men are allowed to have multiple wives and are not restricted by just one particular woman. So men who agree with such behaviors that women should be you know, subjugated 
a cool man like this, while they should have more than one woman. And this is really the yes, yes, thing. indeed. Now we can we can go even a step further. Christian, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, but we can use a Christian religion, for example. In in the Old Testament, women were classified as unclean when they were in their period. So if they sat on something, touched someone, or someone touched them, it was deemed as unclean too. But um, I could go on and explain why God said this. But for the purpose of this podcast, it, it would allow me to. So, but clearly we see now that that is not the case today. As we see women go to work and do daily activities even on their period. Exactly. Well, I mean, all right, then, some very controversial and, you know, hard-hitting truths coming out of that. Um, we have to take, we have to make note of one of our sponsors for this podcast. They asked us to play you off. Here it goes. So yes, that was one of our sponsors. You can go check out their product and use our code GEND2001 forward slash group 4 to get your parties. So we pick up where we left off. The topic of discussion is what are the impacts of religion on attitudes, beliefs, and practices around women's health? I mean, we think about this. Well, I think the next logical conversation must be in marriage, you know. Yes, yes, I agree. Because um, um, when, you, when you look at the meaning of marriage, it is so deeply rooted in in patriarchy and gender modern sense, it does make sense for a young woman to all traditional Well, you know, historically, mm-hmm. women have always been disadvantaged by marriage, you know. That's how some see it. I mean, yeah, man. I mean, um, we have seen where women are generally forced into marriage for economical security in a world where, you know, um, welfare state did not exist. A woman's best chance of survival was to, to marry well. That is true. And as soon as she married, mm-hmm. the woman's rights, independence, and even identity, thus, yeah. Jackson title, were surpassed were surpassed by the will of her husbands, who became her legal guardian. Yeah. Well, if we look at it deeper, despite today's popular view that marriage equals love, matrimony is not actually grounded in intimacy. As a matter of fact, historically, it was a strategic alliance between two families, more often than not, orchestrated by the families to ensure long-term stability, prosperity, and even and maximum number, prosperity for a maximum number of people, basically. Yeah, man. When, when you look at the concept of, and I quote, love, man, it's really, you know, if I check it out, it is still 
many parts of the world. So despite Hollywood's best efforts to make marriage appear, the epitome of romance, I can't quite get past mat matrimony's essentialism. That it stems from kind of institutionalized inequality between genders. Exactly. Women were seen as the property of their husbands, and before that, the property of their So, I mean, in reality, then, you know, when it comes to those times, men win and women would lose, you know? And, and, and I guess women started realizing that. Well, statistically, you know, marriage rate is falling because according to the Bureau of Statistics in Australia, there were 4,200 fewer marriages in 2013 than the previous year. And there's also a drop, that is also a drop of 3.5%. The average marriage lasted 12.1 years in 2013, a slight decrease from 2012. Well, um, let me comment on that. Um, marriage really is seen as an institution based on the alliance between two unequal partners, you know, and this now requires one partner, the husband, to be dominant and the wife to be subservient in order to function. The premise of so-called perfect traditional marriage is rooted in a man having all economic control in the relationship. And thus, most of the control in general, as financial control, leads to control of how the money is spent and how life is lived. So now we really have to think about, you know, this thing, you know, marriage, you know, which is, which is in all religions, which these religions are patriarchal and, you know, run by men. But we still, and we have to think about the mental health of the women in these marriages. The women who, the women who were their own persons, their own big woman, and then, you know, forced to become a quote-unquote, they are forced to become small in order to allow men to feel you know, more dominant. And because, because this is the way society says, says it should work. So we can only, we can only, we can only see where, Men actually require this of their women. Yeah, yeah man. man. Yeah, man. Uh, men, men will, will openly ask their women to not make as much money as them in order to keep him as the breadwinner and not hurt his ego. What do you really think yeah, of man, that? That's that No, man. Make that go on. Make sure my wife can make as much money as she wants. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you're getting at something in a lamier. So you can you so you can see how, how the mental health of women become an issue then. They are forced to lower their standards to fit social and their men. Really sad man. Yeah, man, and you know there's a there are, and like, if we're expanding now enough, we're expanding from this, you know, this religious construct called marriage. We can we can see we can then understand the mental health issue arounding things like child marriages, which is really a big thing around the world. Children being married off as at ages as low as um fourteen. Well, I mean, in cultures where a man could get a woman's hand in marriage in exchange for well, like yeah. a boat or a <laughs> just, Im just yeah. imagine what. What mental state? Imagine the mental state of a woman that just got herself traded for a good, for a nice rummy. 
आणि